Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. And today is Share the Show Tuesday. And on Share the Show Tuesday, we ask our regular listeners to find somebody they think is ready for the Drive Time News Blast, ready for the propaganda report, turn them on to this show this day, and also to maybe share it on social media, reach out to somebody you know from social media, maybe put a review or give us some stars, five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. But the way I like to do Share the Show Tuesday is to tell people why, why we're here and kind of how to listen to it. So... Most of us don't like the news. We don't want to know what's going on in the world because it's all a pack of lies, a total manipulation. We can see what they're doing to take away our rights and our liberties and and based on things that we know they are not reporting accurately. And it's easy to just walk away from that information and grow your own chickens and all that. And that is definitely a good plan. But while you have kids in school or a spouse to works or family gatherings and people are spouting this stuff off to you, you don't have the time to look through all the news, figure out what is a more accurate explanation for events, the evidence, the people who are behind this stuff, what the real agenda is for the narratives that you are hearing. So we help you offer those better explanations and help people kind of wake up. So we're here for regular listeners to help them sort through the news as a resource for how to not have to listen to the mainstream news and still be in the loop because you have to. But but share it with people who you think are ready to try to understand on in a deeper way what is really going on. And we sometimes hit the ground running. We have themes that recur. These stories are, they come up all the time. So we don't always start from square one. Dive in, listen to a couple of episodes. You'll catch right up. It may seem fast at first, but you'll get right into the hang of it. A lot of people say they're hooked after the first show. So there you go. Share the show Tuesday. And then I have... uh What I think is a top story, it's kind of a body of top stories that we're going to talk about right now, which is, first of all, so if you are new to the show, what happened on January 6th, we immediately covered it. We knew several people who were there. We interviewed them. We looked at their videos. It was absolutely just like every protest I've ever been to in D.C. Uh, It was maybe even more tame in that. Most of the people or everybody we saw in these videos, dozens of videos, were just your basic kind of, uh, I always think of it as like the flyover state fanny pack uh, retiree. It it looked more like a festival than anything else, honestly. And we got firsthand reports of the things that happened. And in, in my personal opinion, nothing happened that day that was untoward, that wasn't planted there for a reason. And the outcome played into the hands of the people who got, who allowed what would have been, a what was a questionable and would have been questioned electoral certification process that got totally truncated. And by the end of the day, it should have been a three-day process from Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan to question that. It 
got swept under the rug. Mitch McConnell came in later that day. Kelly Leffler, like, oh, because of this, we can't go through the process. So it was clearly set up. And But what I have noticed every day, including today, Jamie Dupree tweeted some sarcastic comment like, oh, more, quote, tourists at the Capitol. And it was a video of a bunch of people who we're told are these insurrectionists pushing up against cops who are in riot gear. Let me guess. But very storming. close up. Very close up footage. Yes, that's also true. But what it is, is so it was like showing them storming. But we knew at the time we were following it closely. We didn't see anything like that. You would see the cops actually escorting people through the halls, helping people up, opening gates. And that is what we heard from eyewitnesses at the time. It seems to me there's a lot of this footage coming out now that I, if I had to guess... I don't know for sure, but I think that stuff's been created after the fact. I do not think that's what happened at all. And Binkley, I'm asking you if you have seen that, this new footage, there was one in the basement where guys like made this a cop's mouth bleed. Do you think this stuff was consistent with what we investigated after the event for weeks, if not months? No, it's completely inconsistent. And my question is, why wasn't this immediately released? Why is it just now coming out? And I don't know what the response to that would be, but they talk about now on CNN and the other networks how there's some absurd amount of like 17,000 hours of footage that no one individual could ever actually go through. So you can kind of pick and choose the movie you want to find. I would like to see these close up shots where you can't really tell where people are. You can see a room and a bunch of chaos and, and you have the meaning projected onto what's going on by the person who presents the clip. I would like to see those clips as well as the little bit further away clips that show the entire room and the entire situation because we've seen bird's eye view clips from outside. We've seen close-up clips where it's just so chaotic you can't really decipher what's going on, but you've never seen actual kind of normal standard up close and CCTV full room clips to give you that full context. That's a really good point, because as I watched these clips, and yes, they were very up close and tight, I think the explanation of why this is new stuff is that they're starting to prosecute all these people and confiscate their phones and pulling all this stuff off of there. But but you're 100% right. Like The one I looked at today was close like that, and it, it, told, it looked, you know, I assume that 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 was staged, all the things considered. But you're right. If you pulled it back, because the way it looks, there's this push. There's this push of these of this group, couple of dozen, you know, quote, patriots pushing against cops in riot gear. And you have to wonder. So the the question that they got ahead of was where were all the cops, like there are 3,000 Capitol Police, they have a very, I bet it's the most cops per square foot of territory in the country. Where were they? And that's why they started with that right away. Like there's a chain of command problem and all this stuff. They want to explain how it got so out of control. There were more cops on Miriam Carey than there were on the so-called insurrectionists that day. And if you pulled back, you would see that there wouldn't really wouldn't be a crush. Where were the cops who were pulling these guys off, right? If it was 20 guys up against 510 cops. Where, where were the other cops? Where were the rest of the cops? Why would they just, these guys just push against them, you know, push through the door? You're right. They were unlocking doors and taking selfies on the other side of the building, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Because this thing looks nothing like the tone of everything else we saw in any reasonable framework. You know, I heard a FBI agent and Republican, this is how he was presented on Stelter show the other day. Republican and lifelong FBI agent 
debunks the FBI false flag theory. And here's how he debunked the idea that FBI agents had infiltrated and provoked some of these actions that we saw. He said, no, of course not. Of course, it's not a false flag. Of course, an FBI agent didn't do something illegal if he was operating in the context of his job. Right. You notice what he did there? So he didn't say the FBI agent didn't do it. He just said he didn't break a law because if he's operating in the context of his job. Just following orders like? That's what it sounded like. So they're not actually (laughs) saying no, that didn't happen. They're doing this word, you know, going roundabout ways to almost admit it to me. But a lot of this comes from this strategy for countering domestic terrorism that I've brought up a couple of times, but I haven't actually laid out some of the the finer points of it. The White House released this national strategy for countering domestic terrorism last week, and it's clearly been fully activated because they've been going full steam ahead this past week. So here's the the context of, or, or here's some key points. And keep in mind that this strategy is guiding the news that we see. I mean, this is what the, the frame of the news reporting has been following. Key, key point one, the strategy was created to address domestic terrorism, and the document says domestic terrorism has, has evolved into the most urgent terrorism threat the United States faces today, and this document provides the framework for the U.S. government and its partners to understand and share domestic terrorism-related information to prevent terrorism recruitment and mobilization and to disrupt domestic terrorism activity. So we're going to look at pre-crime here. We're going to look at identifying groups and stopping them from speaking, and we're going to treat them as the most urgent threat that we're facing in this country. That's kind of the overview. Now, uh, here's the key point two. The two most lethal elements of today's domestic terrorism terrorism threat are racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists who advocate for the superiority of the white race. We've heard that before. <laughs> we heard, oh my gosh, we heard that's that a in quote. the CFR panel discussion. I mean, that was word for word what the CFR chick told the journalists to was the greatest threat, right? Yep. And the CFR panel discussion came before this document was released. Wow. And I, and I, cause I was just like, I don't understand what advocating for superiority is. Is it they claim their superiority or they advocate for power? But advocating for superiority, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like it was just such a weird way of phrasing it. Yeah. And they do that. They do those weird phrasings. So I think but, so they can kind of manipulate the meaning of it down the road if they need to. But it's, it's such a tell when you see the same phrasing somewhere else. Because yeah. The it's same weird, weird phrasing. Yeah. yeah. And the it. second, element, the second most lethal element of today's domestic terrorism threat is anti-government or anti-authority violent extremists, such as militia. Militia. Also in the CFR panel discussion. Yes, because I made the same point, which is it's the one thing in the Constitution that I feel is a positive requirement, a responsibility of the of the people. Like in the Bill of Rights, generally, it's a protection of the people by restraining government. This is a militia is necessary for a free state. If you want to be a free state and part of this union, you have to have a militia. I mean, it doesn't strictly say you have to, but it it, it says that you will not be a free state if you don't have a militia. It is basically kind of close to the thing to a constitutional requirement that I think is out there. And I think the response is going to be, and that's exactly why the Constitution is systemically racist, because it has the white nationalist militia in it. So it'll be that circular reasoning that they like to use. But 
No, I agree I with you, think, but I'm just saying. No, I, uh, yeah. I, I totally think that disarming, you know, violating the Second Amendment is insanely racist because they, where do they take the guns away? Really? They take them away in the inner city. And that's where <laughs> all the violence and crime is and the innocent people who get killed because they can't defend themselves and everyone knows it. That's really the situation where all they make the trade there, drug trade or whatever, instead of just arm's length transactions, it's a black market. You can't, you have to enforce your contracts by actual violence. So the the businessmen have to all have weapons, and it's then funny you should it say gets that ugly. Because I, I I specifically was going to present this next point because of how I, I thought you might respond with to the uh, firearm angle of it. the The next next point are the four pillars that the government response is going to be based on, and I'm going to start with the fourth pillar, and they're all very short. The fourth pillar is to confront long term contributors to domestic terrorism. So confront the long-term contributors, and these contributors include, this includes protecting Americans from racial, ethnic, and religious hatred and stemming the flow of firearms to individuals intending to commit acts of domestic terrorism. Take the firearms away from people they label as domestic terrorists, which are Capital Six people, Trump supporters. And does it say how? No. Okay, because the, the red flag laws, I mean, immediately what happens is anyone can call anonymously and they go to your house and they try to take your guns away without a trial. So it it is my position that from mental commitment to taking away someone's gun rights to any loss of liberty or property, you should be entitled to a jury of your peers and a unanimous verdict. Yeah. So that so but what they do is they they so once you allow anonymous calls to be a red flag then you can just systematically call on anyone like the FBI could call in those red flags to the police and no one would ever know and what happens is the police go to take your guns and and they can end up killing you like one of the very first examples was the cops came over and the guy talked to him and they said we need your guns he said you're not taking my guns so they killed him and because his sister or his sister-in-law or whatever called the cops, they, they didn't, they had an argument over Thanksgiving. So she wanted to get him and she called the cops and said she thought he was unstable and shouldn't have guns. And what this pillar here is basically saying is that what's contributed to the domestic terrorism is people who supported Trump having guns and people who, because the second pillar, the second angle of that is to counter the polarization fueled by d- disinformation and conspiracy theories online so counter the polarization yeah counter the polarization that is fueled by disinformation and dangerous conspiracy theories online that so this is everything we see in the news is filtering through this i don't want to take up all the time with this if you want me to hit the other pillars real quick i can no or okay i i can i actually one of my one of the things i wanted to tell you about kind of folds into that there's been like a lot of propaganda on cnn about how the world is forever different we're in the post-covid time and we don't see exactly how it's going to unfold i wanted to talk a little bit about what that means for the labor market and the family and all that but one but i was surprised as i was reading this stuff because i was thinking that i was looking at economics and everything it was the pandemic wrought a new america and i actually gave this article the propaganda of the week award in my own mind and it is that it and he talks about how these shootings are back because of the mental illness that resulted from lockdown 
that I mean, it was it was really a shocking story in that he talks about how the people who are unvaccinated and he he you know creating conflict and lost opportunities for the people who are vaccinated, but he equates the vaccinated thing with the kind of diehard Trump people who can't let go the election and that they are they are this this thank God Biden's back in the driver's seat, but there's going to be some disruption and it's going to be violent. That's interesting. That goes with the thing I saw about them, the airlines trying to get the government to step in and stop all the air rage from people who are not wanting to wear masks, you know, really oh. labeling those people as demons and bad guys yeah, that that's actually in this article. It talks about the mass shootings and and the airplane rage. They are on message. This is quite a coordinated psychological operation going on. The third pillar, which I think you'll find interesting as well, is basically stovepiping. Sto- stovepiping the locales. They want to disrupt and deter domestic terrorism activity by um, going to the state, local, and tribal and territorial law enforcement. Uh, They will give them access to increased intelligence sharing and training on domestic terrorism and associated threats. So they're going to control the information that the local authorities get about who a domestic terrorism is, about what domestic terrorism is, and about how they can counter it. To me, that's a giant stovepiping operation, just like the CFR telling the local news organizations how they are to report on domestic terrorism in their own locales. Just as a reminder for new listeners, what stovepiping is, if you imagine a potbelly stove, you put all the information in the in the pot and the only this only the smoke goes up through the pipe. And if you control if you are the pipe, you control it. This is a classic way where like a president, someone like FDR, who didn't have a computer and didn't couldn't go up and down the stairs without help. They could just lock him in a room, basically, and tell him what they wanted to tell him. And when he had to make decisions, he could only make decisions based on the information he had. And that so he who controls the information controls the decision. But you said something very interesting about that, which is they would give uh, information sharing. So sharing information doesn't necessarily isn't isn't one way. It's two ways. So that has been a big push since Eric Holder under Obama, he has tried to break down the barriers that were erected from the 1974 Privacy Act, which controlled how governments uh, shared information so that you wouldn't feel like, as Brzezinski predicted around that same time, 71, 72, that with a single keystroke, uh, the, the surveillance state could could pull up everything about you. They they didn't want that. So ever since then, information sharing has been a big part of it. And if you see how what you're saying they're doing, it reflects a lot of how Operation Mockingbird worked. So back in the day, Operation Mockingbird, they said it was during the Vietnam War and they wanted to keep certain secrets and they wanted to, they were fighting communism and they wanted to control the press. So they told them that we will embed you with our soldiers. You can go in there and get frontline stuff. We will spoon feed you information. We'll give you all our intelligence briefings and everything. But all that we ask is that when we tell you not to print something, you don't print it. So it's total censorship under the guise of increased information. You get the increased information, but they have the control. Yeah. And 
the first pillar is about improving the information sharing with law enforcement and the state, local, tribal, and when appropriate, private sector partners. So when appropriate, I'm sure they'll they'll not use that all the time. And the second one speaks right to what you're saying as well, that they're going to address, they're going to stop the recruitment and mobilization of domestic terrorism online by increasing information sharing with the technology sector and creating innovative ways to foster digital literacy. Oh my gosh. Which wow. makes make people stupid and uh, don't tell them, tell, make people think they can recognize propaganda, but make them completely blind to it. Right. I mean, digital literacy is summed up as one school I was looking at for my kids in, in three words. Digital literacy is summed up in three words. Authority, authority, authority. That is yeah. how you tell one, how you tell good information from bad information on the internet. I mean, then literally the example this chick used was, would you trust uh, a Yelp, a Yelp post, a Yelp review or the New York Times food critic? And I, I was immediately like, of course, like the 5,000 people on Yelp who aren't getting paid off and free dinners every day, <laughs> you know, a guy who like, it, that's just, of course. And I mean, I think I, I actually gave that answer and she, her head exploded. That's the right Needless, answer. My kids aren't going to that school, but it's not like too many schools are above that. But yeah, I thought it was the right answer. Yeah, the New York Times people, they have an agenda. They're, they're, they're supported by the people that they're writing about. Yes. As a matter of fact, once I did a review for a magazine, like a school newspaper or something, and, they, and the restaurant gave me the meal free. And I was <laughs> like, well, that doesn't really <laughs> – no, now I have to write nice things. Yeah. Well, that wraps up for that. So. Oh, yeah. okay. So another thing that I thought – the way you analyze, analyze this kind of thing it was so perfect because – so I don't know why. Normally, I don't go and look at the CNN stuff because it's so freaking propaganda-y. I leave that up to you to sift out. But Fox was just a big nothing burger. So I went over to CNN and it was just like propaganda day. on It's always propaganda day at CNN, but it was over-the-top propaganda day. But then in all of this, there was this article by the most propaganda-y CNN guy. Can you – Guess the, who that is? You've seen him. It's always him. Every Chris time you Caliza. see like the, yes, the guy Every who's time. like fifteen wild lines Trump said. Exactly. Everyone, it's like debunking. I actually haven't seen fifteen falsehoods in the presidential speech lately. I no, guess that hasn't Biden come up lately, has it? Doesn't do that. So, uh, but it was actually a really good insight, and it was normally you don't see the kind of Democrat, the kind of political posturing laid out so clearly. But he wrote this article about how. H.R. 1 or whatever the election bill in uh, – oh, that's H.R. But the election bill in the Senate is dead in the water because Manchin is against it. But they really, really want Manchin to vote for it even if it means a 50-50 tie so that they can go to their constituents come election time and say that all 50 Democrats wanted – to give you free and fair elections and all 50 Republicans voted against it. Then they can get their, their, uh, Democrat Senate majority, you know, use that to get some, and then they can push through something they don't need Manchin's approval because Manchin's the voice of reason, right? So I've been trying to figure out how they have these, these, uh, election bills and they don't even, 
they even Stacey Abrams has already said, like, it's not enough. Even what Manchin's saying, like, that compromise. We'll take the compromise, but it's not enough. Like, we're going to come back for more. And they have perfected the art of losing. So if they lose this and they use the loss to pad their ranks, then what you get after that is worse. I'm not suggesting for a second that you take this one, but it, it may look like a short term. It might look like a victory, but that would be short term if they uh, yeah. don't get this. Through. That's a They're Saul Linsky tactic, too. That's an activist organizing tactic. If losing is going to give you your best outcome, then you lose and you lose right is it, isn't it like absolutely an immutable fact of politics that you lose seats when your guy, like in the first midterm of a president, like so that the Democrats will go backwards? Isn't that like I think immutable? that's the pattern, seems to be. I guess they're hoping against that, but could be. I mean, it, it depends on how they continue to demonize the Republicans. And of course, the Republicans, I always think, play along with it. So they lose more Republicans just by being bad Republicans. So anyway, uh, uh, wow, that was so interesting. Thank you. And the time flew by. So now I will say to you, before we get to our last story of the Free 30, let's give people a preview of what they will hear in the Patron 15. The last free story is going to be, who is the bravest man in professional sports? <laughs> I want people to start to think about that, to really think about it. If you can, if you can identify in your mind who you think is the bravest man in professional sports. Well, where you're thinking about that, I'll tell you what's going to be in the page of 15. I just discovered an element about the death of Princess Diana that was eerily similar to Nicole Simpson. Something, yeah, it's really like i didn't i I, maybe this is out before but i was like what anyway i'll tell you about that and the meme if it weren't for the unvaccinated things would be better that meme has begun the debbie downer you're gonna tell us about that Hmm? the debbie the unvaccinated have become the debbie downer of yeah oh yeah ruining it for everybody but before we get to any of that I would like to give a big thanks to the sponsor of today's show, Burna Technologies. I'm very excited about this product. It is, it is a leader in the non-lethal self-defense category. They have a live safe motto to provide consumers with an affordable device, the Burna HD. It's $359. It allows people to protect their personal safety without having to take a life. It is not a firearm. It is an incredibly powerful and effective self-defense device that uses pepper, gas, and plastic projectiles to subdue an assailant for up to 20 minutes. This gives the user enough time to escape without having to kill the person. It is and has an effective range of 66 feet, which is much better than pepper spray or stun guns that have an effective range of only 10 feet or less. It is. It has been adopted by law enforcement and private security firms across the U.S., of course, that get you out of trouble and you don't have that kind of a problem. It can de-escalate stressful situations before resorting to lethal means. So you could join over 50,000 consumers across the country who have chosen Burna HD as their self-defense option. For me, I want it because I have a special needs child. I do not feel comfortable having guns in the house, but I absolutely need a way to defend myself. I also do not like the idea that all I'm going to do is when I see a bad guy with a gun, just pray that a good guy with a gun shows up. I need to be a little more empowered than that. 
if you want to see how it works and how effective it is, go to their YouTube channel. They have some videos of it being tested on like a big giant burly burly dude. You know, so think of like the biggest person you might find in a street fight, and they're just pounding this guy with it, and it seems to seems to stun him a little bit. Wow! It, it, it knocks him back. He's definitely not going to be chasing after you after you hit him with it. Right, right. Okay, well, I would like to see that because they say it can it can slow that guy down for twenty minutes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out. If they're saying it, then I'm gonna I want to see it in action. You can go to burna.com. That's b y r n a dot com. Use the promo code all caps propaganda ten to receive a ten percent discount on your purchase. That discount cannot be combined with any other special offers or bundles, but it's still a hefty piece of change. So check that out if you love our show and you want to support our show. We love it when you support our sponsors like Berna, and we also like it when you support us. So we have a Patreon. We have a lot of different things you can do to support us. One of the things you could do is become a patron. So you could go to patreon.com slash propaganda report. You can come a, become a basic level truth sponge for $7. But if you choose a month, that's a lot, a lot of content. More con- That's actually a problem because you get more content than most people can plow through. But at higher tiers, you get a different kind of content. You get live interactive stuff, cocktail parties, Zoom parties, shout outs. It's a lot of, a lot of stuff there and it's worth checking. It's very clearly laid out. I think I have set the gold standard for uh, clarity and variety and Patreon. So check it out, patreon.com slash propaganda report. And with that, on with our final story of the Free 30, Binkley, take it away. You know, this is one of those times where I wish we had callers calling in because I would like to know what people thought when they were thinking about who the toughest or the bravest athlete is that they're aware of. I want to think about that for a second. And now if they have seen the headlines about this, then they might have identified what we're talking about. But if not, probably zero people would have picked this person. Is he proud of his bravery? He seems to be. There's a couple of interesting angles. This Here's the story. A guy named... Does he wear a t-shirt that says... I didn't see the t-shirt. <laughs> he might. Does he sing the Vax song? Perhaps. Okay, yes, probably. <laughs> I'm going to guess probably. His name is Carl Nassib. He is a Los Angeles or Las Vegas Raiders football player. And he announced on Instagram, where he is somewhat of an influencer, that he's gay. Okay, who cares? Great. That's just great. He is the first act. I heard that and I'm like, haven't we already done this? Yeah, I totally Didn't Michael remember Michael Sam doing come that. out in 2013? Yeah, he got drafted. Totally. But it turns out Michael Sam was just the first gay player from college to get drafted. He never actually played. He was drafted in the seventh round. He didn't make the team. And, you oh. know, I don't think it was because of his sexuality. I just don't think that he was at that level. He was good in college, but I, I don't think he was just at the pro level. This guy is actually on a team, so he's the first active player to come out as gay. Now, the first interesting thing that stuck out to me in this story is that this guy kind of already made himself famous away from football because during the Hard Knocks uh, show. They do Hard Knocks where they follow one of the teams in the offseason. And this guy, because of his personality and he would help other players with financial stuff, good reasons, he became kind of famous online, social media and stuff through the reality show. So he's already somewhat of a reality television star. And it appears to me that this guy could be, because 
look, everybody praised this guy. That's great. You know, it probably is very, very challenging even today for people to come out to their families if their families are more conservative who and not just not used to that culture. Then it's probably very difficult for someone to come out to their family. But to come out to society wide, man, you you get open arms, parades, you are instantly a celebrity and liked. And this guy had uh, Roger Goodell praising his bravery. He had every like players across the league and coaches across the league praising his bravery. And coach John Gruden had the most interesting praise of his, his bravery when he said, I learned a lot a long time ago about what makes a man different is what makes him great. I'm like, wait a minute. What are, are you saying that him being gay in the NFL is what makes him great. That seems that seems like a bit of an odd statement there. But it it's probably brave in the context of his family, which probably already knew. But to come out in this environment, you you're an instant celebrity. This guy was already a celebrity. I'm 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 putting him on created persons watch. I'm wow. I'm saying that he's probably gonna be carrying cultural messages, propaganda messages to this demographic in the future, a Kaepernick type person, but probably better. I think this guy's probably gonna be a good spokesperson for whatever message. But the thing that was emphasized in this story and in another one about the potentially the first female NBA basketball coach that might coach on the trailblazers her name's becky hammond is representation representation matters representation is what is important and i understand that and i understand that, that becky ham she she might be a fantastic basketball coach i don't know but she better be because the trailblazers aren't going to be able to fire her if she's not because they'll get slammed if they do but when representation becomes the main determining factor in every choice that is made to hire somebody or to put somebody in a position, then what happens is quality doesn't matter. Inequality matters. Or equality matters. <laughs> not, but quality does not matter. Equality does. And when yes. equality is the only determining factor, then over time, when a culture recognizes that and people see hard work does not matter. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter the, the greatness I try to achieve, the skills I try to build up, the, the time and effort that I try to put in, the success that I hope to achieve will not come because that effort is not how the, it, 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 you know, it's determined. You are chosen based on your representation, not on what you can do or what you have done. And that will destroy the entire society. <laughs> oh, yes. And I wouldn't be. Yes, that is actually a big thing is that if you when you use that demographic stuff, you take away the pure merit thing and that yeah. makes utility go down. So that was something no yeah. maybe we'll get to it in the patron 15. Maybe we'll get to it tomorrow that I wanted to kind of talk a little bit more about the labor market and how they're restructuring as Biden said, he wants to fundamentally transform the economy of this country. And a lot of those articles on CNN today and, uh, and stuff I was reading in the journal yesterday is about how the face of the labor market is changing education. And they're really focusing on the lower, the less skilled section. And I, I think I have some insights as to why. Yeah. One thing, just to be clear from the NBA thing, if Becky Ham, Becky Hammond, if that is if she is the best potential candidate skill wise, if they evaluate her and they think that she's going to be, then absolutely, I, I want the Hawks to get her if she is the best candidate available. But when it's just determined on the representation, that's when we're going to be walking down a path that's going to lead to no incentives to work hard and the whole society. Nobody's going to be lifting everybody else up. I think people in government bureaucracies have that experience. I've known people who've worked in certain jobs in the government who, who. They, 
it's, it's like the opposite of Uber. So Uber, you get in and people are worried about their mutual ratings of each other. So they're extra nice to each other. Nor, you know, even if in another yeah. walk of life, you would just be like, yeah, I don't care. But you would be go out of your way to be nice. Whereas like in this one person I knew who worked in a federal agency, just didn't like her boss. And she was kind of prickly and she just didn't like her boss. And she was just like, oh, I'm going to file a sexual harassment thing. Not sexual harassment, like a whatever. She was like, he can't fire me unless these three things are true. And I'm going to make sure I don't do those three things, but I don't have to be respectful towards him. I don't have to be responsive. If he, you know, I don't have to work one minute past five o'clock. Like, I don't have to do any of those things and he can't fire me. And I remember thinking like, wow, if that were that guy, I would be pretty bummed. But, you know, he probably lives by that sword or he wouldn't be at that level in that organization. But I remember thinking, man, when you can't fire someone, it really changes how you're how, you know, how nice you have to be to each other. Like taking away consequences. You think you're a nice person or whatever. When you remove consequences, it's like when people start putting the masks on. As soon as you put them on, people like stopped being as friendly to each other. Like you didn't have to smile because they couldn't see you smile. And they can't really recognize you. So you don't have to look them in the eye anymore. Like I noticed that right away. So those kind of things really matter. And then if you go back and read that great line from the report from Iron Mountain, we do computer models to see how a tiny, tiny change in policy can have broad effects from everything from arms sales to real estate prices in lower Manhattan. Like that was the example they used. That was back then. Think about those models now. Oh, I know, I know. I have a uh, a shout out for shout outs. I am finally at the end of what was ended up being like a three month supply of shout outs. So if you think I missed your shout out from the last round, please resubmit it immediately, and I will make sure I get to it. But I try. I thought I kept a comprehensive list, but I'm ready for more shout outs. If you are a patron saint, if that is your tier, no matter how you got there and uh, when you joined. Please send me a shout out. And I would like to give a little shout out. I would like to shout out the elusive Mr. Perez, a.k.a. Ricardio, for my awesome mic setup. Very, very cool. I could not figure it out myself. And uh, Legit Bat Podcast, who sent me some very uh, adorable swag. I'm sure adorable is not the word he wants, but it is very, very cute. I love it. Thank you. And But more important for renaming a a patreon tier that now has only one member and it's my mom because uh she is a matron saint all right she's she's not a patron saint she is a matron saint i thought that was very cute of legit bats shout out my mom basically and i am looking forward to your shout outs and now on to the patron 15 all right. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content that Monica was telling you about that we put out every day that we drop a Drive Time News Blast, you can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and become a patron. We will talk to you all tomorrow or in the Patreon 15. Have a fantastic rest of your day.